Welcome to the Inner Huddle, a youth football development podcast for parents, coaches, and managers of young aspiring footballers. Your hosts from Pezza Street Soccer are Pez and Jeff. Welcome to the Inner Huddle. So, more questions, Jeffrey. Question number seven. Question number seven. Yes, do you want to go for it? Yep. Um, my son's coach at his club is forever stopping games and drills to make coaching points. Some of it is relevant, but most of the time only to a couple of players. It's very frustrating as everyone would like the game to flow. Is this type of coaching helping or hindering my child's development? Mm, interesting one. You mentioned about stop stand still. Yes, how you didn't... it is stop stand still coaching. Um, never been a fan of it. In fact, it was one of my biggest frustrations of working with coaches 15, 20 years ago. What, what are you stopping it there for? It's the old classic, right, what could you have done better there? Stop saying still. What yeah. could you have done better there? Could you have turned your body this way? Could you have got your head up? What might you have seen? And, you know, it's a It'll... cold Tuesday night and the other yeah. kids are freezing and you're... Effectively coaching one kid. Whenever I see coaching like that, it makes me think someone's trying to pass a course or they're just trying to show off their knowledge of football and, and get yeah. their points across rather than tailoring it to the group's needs and the individual's needs again. So it comes back to that, doesn't it? Definitely at times I've seen coaches stop. They stop standing still because they feel like they have to. Yeah. Because they want parents to think that they're so knowledgeable and they're actually doing something. Um, whereas... Depends. Well, it depends on the age group. If you're under sevens, eights, and nines, I'd say never do the old stop stand still unless it's, you know, safety or something that's absolutely glaringly. Yeah. There's, there's, I mean, even in matches, I will call the player over when the match is going on, and everyone's going, "What's he doing? What's he doing?" And then I'll tell them a coaching point for that game, even if it's your centre half and you might concede a goal because it might be important. They might be doing the same thing over and over again, but. I'm not a fan of stopping and starting the games for individual coaching points. Yeah, and it, it really only does affect two or three players at, at one time, doesn't it? Especially if you're yeah. on a full pitch with 11 v 11 or something like that. And it doesn't matter how much of the you're supposed to coach on the ball, around the ball and away from the ball, so you are affecting everybody. But you've still got someone 30, 40 yards away that can't hear what you're saying or the yeah. wind's blowing or they're just... Yeah, and it's... It's Ball. less touches of the ball. It's not realistic. You know, you could go on with reasons for not doing it. But we don't like it. It might work for some people, though, but I've just found it's coaches who have a bit of an ego and like the sound of their own voice and look at me. I know what I'm going on about and I want to win a game of football at the weekend and it won't be my fault because we've done this in coaching. And if it pays off, then, oh, it was because of my wonderful stop-stand-still coaching. Yeah. <laughs> leave leave egos out of it and let the kids play basically yeah I think we're going to come on to a bit of egos in a bit are we yes the enemy should we move on to question ego number is the eight? enemy. great book that by the way this could be on our book recommendations ego is the enemy I can relate it to one. football right Donna read a question for us would you what number are we on eight I recently read an article about warm ups in football being a waste of time what are your thoughts on this I, I get the giggles and Jeffrey's looking at me because I think he knows what, what I'd love to say. Why is it? Why is it silly though? You warm up your voice before you sing. You warm up mm -hmm. your brain before you read. Well, you know that is you know you know what I mean. Before you write a book, you warm your brain up by reading. 
You, it's a muscle. Your body is a muscle. Surely you would warm it up before you use it. Yeah, I get it. The reason Jeffrey's looking at me like that is because we've seen a great quote from Pirlo, which we can't read out because it contains a rude phrase, doesn't it? But yeah. um, he is very dismissive, even in professional football and at the highest level of warm-ups. <laughs> I'm not going to read it out, Jeffrey. No, so neither am I. Um, it's a difficult one, like you say. Do you want me to read it out? Like, like you say, <laughs> it's an obvious thing to warm up, but it's, it's how you warm up. And for the younger age groups, it's only, again, based on opinion, but it's not that important. The younger age groups, I think you can warm up by playing a game. Yeah, and there's a big thing now about can we skip your warm-ups and your stretching and just play. So if, you're, if your kids are going out and playing in the street, they don't do a warm-up. They don't do dynamic stretches and yeah. static stretches. They go out and they play. And when I was a kid, I can't remember anyone going home with a hamstring strain or a pulled calf. So a it, lot of it... I don't know. They say from about 10 years of age, you should start doing some stretches. I think it's more important afterwards. And I come from a sports science background, medical background, so I should know all the stats on it. But from about 10 years of age, maybe after games, to keep that flexibility. Donna, you've got your hand up like a, a good child. You don't just wake up in the morning, put your clothes on, run outside and play football. You uh-huh. move around, you move your body around. Mm-hmm. You are playing outside for a little while while you're knocking on the door. Running up to people's doors, warming up that way. Can Sharon show come out? Can Pez come out and play? Can Jeffrey come out and play? You don't just go straight onto a field and just start playing football. True. I think it's the type of warm up. Look, I go, my team that I volunteer coach at um, is under 10s. And even since they were under 7s, we go and play against other teams and we turn up. I set up a, a square. Um, usually, depending on what age group they've been, and we get the ball out. We might even have a ball each, so they're getting touches of the ball. They're getting warm that way. It's all about maximising your time again. Okay. Yeah, it's a different kind of warm up, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So, give it some thought. I'm not dismissing it, but maximise your time. You can get maybe a thousand touches in before a game if you give them a ball each. Or now they're a little bit older. We do what we call Dutch keep ball. So, uh, we have three teams of three. We've got yeah. nine. Um, and three of them are pressing and the other six try to keep the ball and it's quick turnover. It's more game realistic. Now, to go back to my original point, we go and play other teams and they've got them all in lines going across the pitch, skipping and going backwards and sideways. And, you know, we're getting thousands of touches of the ball and doing football-specific warm-up and they're doing what they've seen on the telly or maybe even getting ladders out, Jeff. Yeah. And doing little hurdles and stuff like they've seen down St Mary's at yeah. the weekend. Got an absolute pretentious load of nonsense. Stop doing it. If nothing else, it should be fun again, isn't it? Because you want yeah. them, you want the kids to if the, whatever it is, you want them to want to do it. So if they don't want to do it, don't so if do you've it. got fifteen minutes or twenty minutes to warm them up, can you do it so it's fun? Can you do it so it's football related? Can you do it so they're fully warmed up for the needs of football, and so on? You know, and getting touches of the ball. So again, over a course of a season, you might be getting in an extra three or four hours of actual contact time with the ball just in your warm-ups. Yeah? Simple. I don't know. I'm quite prepared to be shot down in flames. Keep and I'm sure I will. Yeah. I normally am. But that's my opinion on it. And it's always worked. I don't think we've had any muscle injuries in our under-10 team. No. And professional clubs, I saw Leicester's, um, they've got a professional um, strength and conditioning coach and he'll get six minutes of a half an hour warm up to do activation muscle movements with his players and that's what he's employed to do basically and then look after their strength and conditioning yeah outside of you know 
their other time as well. But it's it's not a lot of time, even at the highest level, dedicated to this type of thing. So don't get too caught up in it because no. they they'll still concentrate on getting touches of the ball, even at the highest level. But the amount of games I've been to, and you've got nine and ten year olds all in a line going across the pitch. But then that's what I did when we were kids. Yeah. So it just gets passed on and down generations and generations, but goes on to you know study the game, look at different methods. What you've been taught or what you did might not always be the best thing for the kids that you've got. And if you want the social corner, the rondo, which is where you have basically team piggy, piggy in the middle again, like your Dutch keep ball yeah. with one person or two people in the middle of a circle, that's a great laugh. You can try and nutmeg the people in the middle. You can have different mm. rules that keep people in the middle. And Unfortunately, though, to parents watching and the opposition, that looks like you're a shambles of a coach. It goes back to your ego again. Barcelona do it, so if it's yeah. good enough for them, it's good enough for me. But... A lot of parents seem to be impressed about these lines going across the pitch. You know, and you've got two managers stood there with their arms folded with their initials on their nicely ironed tracksuit. <laughs> and uh, and the kids are doing skipping and backwards running and ladders. It's, um, well, if that's your sort of thing. Should we move on to the next question? Yeah, before I get myself in, <laughs> in even more trouble than I normally do. Right. What have we got next? We're on to question nine already, Jeff. Pretty good going. Shall I go for this one? Yep. Right, my son plays in a team where the manager is constantly shouting at them. This has led to a few arguments with opposition managers and parents. I believe that players need instruction, but is this too much? Jeffrey. Youth football development, I think your coach's work should be done at training. So any information on a game day shouldn't be new information, and I don't think it helps to have it shouted and barked at you from the sideline and uh, we've talked about this sort of thing a lot haven't we and yeah again it's another bugbear of ours isn't it? got uh, a lot of those haven't we Jeff yeah you're not playing FIFA you're not managing yeah, Premier we call League them players. PlayStation managers don't we yeah um, just controlling managers you, don't you, know they... you're much better off writing a few notes down about how the game's gone what have they done well what could they work on yeah. then going and doing that in training yeah in fun ways and then coming back the next game and seeing if they've improved on it and if you're shouting at the sideline, it's too late for me. Miles too late, yeah. yeah. But again, it goes down to egos a little bit. You get caught up in it. We've all been caught up in it. I've been caught up in it. And I've actually written down here about an, an example of this. And it was absolutely perfect where the other manager's ego spoiled an occasion for kids. And I got caught up in. Um, and, and my ego took over as well. We went to... a. Um, Six aside tournament in the summer. I think my lot were under eights going into under nine, something like that. And I won't name the team because really got... important then. Yeah, yeah. Under eights, we, and we, under we got to go and play these again at some point. But it was um, we got all the way to the semi. We played some lovely stuff, to be fair to them. <clears throat> and we got to the semi final, and we were playing against the hosts, so they were getting a little bit excited about it. Um, and we absolutely played them off the park as much as you can for a bunch of nine and ten year olds, whether they're eight and nine year olds. Um, I hit the post, the keeper had a worldie, all that kind of stuff. And But they had a kid on the sideline that they were... They obviously didn't want them to play him, but they felt they had to. So they were giving him instructions and instructions on the sidelines. Then they put him on. He didn't do what they'd asked him to do because he was so nervous, he sort of froze. And they were shouting him on the sideline. He burst into tears and walked off. Oh, my goodness. Thought, right, that, that's your, your first mistake. Anyway, they go and nick a goal and they beat us 1-0. All right, my kids are absolutely devastated. So I'm trying to pick them up. But at the final whistle, their managers run onto the pitch and one of them, 
I've just not knee slides. Ask any of the parents on my team. He knee slides on the pitch like he's won the World Cup. Jose Marino. <clears throat> Jose Marino. I think I said that to him. So calm down, Jose. But you've got to be careful. So I didn't want to make any sort of confrontation. I was on my own and they were quite aggressive managers anyway. But I said, you do know it's not the World Cup. And he got all aggressive and I'll celebrate how I want. And I said, well, look, I've got a bunch of nine-year-olds here in tears. And, you know, you're making it worse and you're an adult. But he's just, I'll do what I want and, and walked off. Anyway, we then get invited to a tournament. It was an invite-only thing at Swindon Towns Ground. I thought, great. So this was, I don't know, a month or two later, whatever it might have been. Um, and only what they class as the top teams have been invited. So we were quite privileged to get there. Anyway, we get there and I decide, because it's quite a prestigious thing playing on Swindon Towns Ground, I'll give them all equal playing time for the day and rotate. No matter what the scores are, whatever it's going, we'll rotate positions, we'll make it a real development experience and I won't shout out from the sidelines. Anyway, we're doing really well in this tournament. And um, actually, I don't know if it's a tournament or whether it was just everyone plays everyone, but there was professional academies there. I think Bristol Rovers were there and Swindon played. Anyway, I look over at the pitch next to me and it's old knee-slide guy and his team. And Jose's it? back. Oh, Jose. And honestly, my ego kicked in and I thought... I'm going to show you that we're a better team than you in the next game. I got absolutely sucked into it. So the rotation and everything went out of the window and we, we played them in the next game. And I was so determined to put one over on him that a couple of the players who missed out on the last one, it's their turn to be what we call impact players, missed out on the next game. So they missed two games on the trot just so that I could try and put one over on knee slider. Um, and we did. We beat them 2-0 and I was very happy with myself, pat myself on the back. Yeah. I'm Pep, you're Jose, I've got one over on you. Um, thought everyone was happy. Got home, got a text from one of the parents saying, oh, I'm quite unhappy. My child's come home upset because they were missed two games and had a massive knock-on effect, which started from his ego and his knee slides and beating us in the semi-final yeah. and me reacting to it a little bit later on down the line. So cutting a long story short, try not to get sucked in as a manager or a coach with your ego, although... It's a natural thing to do, isn't it? Um, big shout out to Pete Cross, who brought his Alderbury Rockets team along to watch us on Sunday in the futsal, Jeffrey. And they're all turned up in their uh, hoodies, matching hoodies and a bunch of legends. Love that club. I love those guys. So. Proper example of one club just embracing it and getting their kids involved and not seeing something as a threat yeah. to their club and their their precious things that they're Just doing. Just because we're a different grassroots club makes no difference. They were there supporting us, and it was great. They were all in their Aldebury hoodies. Yeah. And it was, uh, I loved it. A real celebration of local football through futsal. Uh, and we've invited them to be mas official mascots now for the next game because of that. Brilliant. So That one's for you, mate. I know he's a big Oasis fan. He could actually be the coolest bloke I've ever met. Yeah, he is definitely the coolest well, bloke I've ever met, and he, I've met you. <laughs> he loves Oasis and uh, Star Wars. I mean, what, what more is there? Nothing. There's nothing, nothing else. No, I can't, just can't see it, no. Right, anyway, before we slip back into our normal show mode, let's get on with the serious stuff. Right, I'm going to ask you this one. Or did you want to ask me? I'll ask you. Go on, then. Question number 10. Go on. Oh, it's a long one. Why do so many youth teams hold annual trials? Oh, this is another one we could do a whole show on, couldn't we? Um, Grassroots youth, I, I guess this is. Yes, um, and I can think of a few clubs that do do it. Um, simple answer is probably a mixture of things. One, because they've always done it, um, and that's what they do. 
Um, two, because either your manager at that age group or your club has a, hate to say it again, but quite a big ego. And they want to win football matches. So they're looking to bring in talent that's going to help them win football matches. I think it's also to give the impression that they're the biggest club locally or that they are sort mm -hmm. of professional. But they're not. They're just grassroots clubs. So they shouldn't be holding trials, in my opinion. It's, it's just wrong. Yeah. Again, it's something we feel strongly about, isn't it? I mean, we are involved in a grassroots club which is completely voluntary. And we have a policy that we never hold trials. That could change if we absolutely needed to and for some reason a whole age group lost a lot of players that moved away. Um, but up until now we've never done it because we believe in development. Um, and I know it sounds harsh, but if your club's holding trials every summer for every age group, then they do not believe in development. They believe in trying to attract what they class as the best talent. It's not difficult, so that's a cop-out for me. Develop what you got. Get a bunch of kids in at the youngest age group, under sevens. Get a large amount of kids in. Have fun. Develop them. See where it takes you. Couldn't agree more. It, you know, it's basic. But that's the difference between a development club and a win know, at all costs. A trial and release club. Yeah. And that, the, these clubs will say, "Oh, we don't release anyone." Well, you do because you release them into your B team and your C team, and et cetera, and, et until they lose interest. And the, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then you think it's a self-fulfilling process prophecy then because it's like well they obviously weren't that into football anyway because they've stopped now well yeah that's because they're not in your a team yeah we can talk about it, a and b yeah, teams yeah, and, stuff, and, that, and you're breaking up friendships of people that are probably sharing lifts together to get to training or to games and it shouldn't be about that should no it? child we're going to throw this out there no child should have to trial for his own or her own place in a team no and i know clubs that do it so they hold trials every summer and everyone that's already played that season or two seasons has to trial with them. I've been told of an under-8s coach who was saying he was looking to release a player because he's not good enough in yeah. his age group. And I think that was, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was under-8s. I get it a lot. Pez, how am I going to get rid of this kid? He, you know, he's a lovely lad and all that, and he likes his football, but he's never going to be up to standard. So what you mean he's not going to help you win a game? Yeah. Sorry, mate, but you've got a responsibility to that kid. Make him better. Find out. Speak to his parents, you know. Try and help them. It might be that he'd be better off at another club. You can't ruin his passion or her passion by just getting rid of them or neglecting them in any way. And it is difficult because they flip it around and go, well, we've got some really talented kids, Pez, and he, this child is holding their development yeah. back. So they kind of try and justify it a little bit. But it's wrong. And it all goes back to that egos again, which we've already established. We all get sucked into from time to time. But just be aware of it. Each child in your care is as important and their needs are as, as valuable as any others. It's not and just about what you feel is your star player. Don't, because you might lose kids to the game. That, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, they might be what we call uh, Q1, 2, 3 or 4 kids, you know, depending on what quarter they've been born in. Depends on their maturity and their emotional development, their physical development, if they're a, um, a young one in the year. And if you look after the whole child... You know, they might not go on to play for that grassroots club's first team or even professional club's first team or whatever it is, but they might end up in the game still as a physio or a coach or someone yeah. who does the admin or whatever it might be that you don't really be... helps out a club that you've you've lost to the game, in, yeah. even in that sense. Oh, yeah, we tried football. It wasn't for him. Yeah. Well, it might have been, but your coach has ruined that. You know, it's a massive responsibility. Um and again, something we could probably talk about for hours and get quite irate about it. But I did a little bit of research 
And I hate to dig this club out, but um, a friend of ours who plays for the futsal team plays for Salisbury City, well, now Salisbury FC first team. And I just said to him, could you find out, because he's a local lad, how many local lads are in your first team? Because you'd expect a local team like that to be full of local lads who've come through their youth system. And he said, to be fair to them, there's six local lads. I don't know what their squad is. What would you say for them? 24? Maybe. Maybe even more. So out of all of those, only six are local lads and only two came through their youth system. So, and he's one of them, I think. He's one of them, yeah. Um, and he did give me a list of their names, to be fair to him. He researched it quite well. But what I'd say is if you're a club that's trialling every year and your first team isn't full of kids that have come through your youth system, then it's not working. So be a, look more to developing the kids that you've got and maybe you'll get more kids in your first team. Um, just an opinion. I might be wrong. And as normal, we'll probably get loads of hassle and shot down in flames by it. But it's what we believe, isn't it? development and long term over short term and at the very top end it would save clubs millions of pounds wouldn't it if yeah you know if your pro clubs are developing their own and producing players they'll they'll be making money off of it not not losing money by buying players in from abroad and the other things i've noticed with our teams now they're getting older is that the ones that have been together as a group from the start they get on the best they have the best team spirit and eventually they tend to be the most successful in yeah. the long run. So if you look at a team that's being successful at under 15s, under 16s, and there was um, there was a, a, a Salisbury City team a few years ago that had been together from when they were under sevens, and they went right the way through, and were very, very, very successful. And I can't remember the uh, the guy's um, name now that used to run it. Burden, is it Chris Burden? Um, and he kept them all together, and they were very successful. Um, and our teams that we've had, the ones that have gone on and been successful, been together right from the start, they have the best team spirit um, and tend to be the most successful. Uh, a big part of that's the parents, isn't it? Not chasing it somewhere else and just sticking with where you're happy and yeah. not trying, oh, there's a shop window over here, apparently yeah. for my kid to get spotted or scouted. As soon as they see the word trial. Yeah. Actually, they've actually, they've sort of cottoned on to this, some of these clubs, and they don't call them trials now, they call them Open training sessions. Open training sessions. So you mean for trial, everybody. Yeah. So it, it makes out yeah. like they're for everybody, but yeah. really... We're they're... a club for everybody. You mean you're holding trials and even your kids who play for you have got to attend that open training session and then be selected again. Anyway, wow, we're going to upset a few people with that one, Jeff. Oh, well, never uh, it's mind. It's an important subject. I can, I can live with it. Yeah, me too. I can cope. Right, question number 11, if we're happy to move on. Donna, still awake in there? Happy to move on? Hi, Perry and Jeff. I really enjoyed your last show. I'm looking for some advice. My son's saying he doesn't want to play football anymore because his dad's always shouting at him during the matches. Do you have any tips that I can give to my husband to be more positive towards our son? Even when they get home, he's still going on about the game and always comparing him to better players. And it's really getting our son down. He's not like it with our daughter and she enjoys the game a lot more. Well, I'm going to tell you what I think. Again... Now, Donna, you tell us what you yeah, think Yeah, go on, first. you tell us Because this think. is important. It's not very nice parenting, is it? No. No. But it's more common than you'd think. Well, it's not... You're supposed to embrace your child. You're supposed to encourage them. You're supposed to nurture them. You're supposed to encourage them to follow their dreams. If he's not enjoying it because you're shouting at him from the sidelines, you're not making it very enjoyable for that child. So, therefore, stop doing it. Because if you don't, mm-hmm. I'm going to come and find you. <laughs> yes, Donna. I like it. I've written a few notes on this. 
And the main one I've written here is you cannot excel at anything if you're not enjoying it. So whatever they're doing to make their child not enjoy the sport anymore, and it can be anything, it doesn't have to be football, stop doing it, have a little look at yourself, because if they're not enjoying it, they're not going to excel, which is what you're trying to make them do. Um, so that's the bottom line. Comparing your child, this is probably another question, but comparing your child to other players is a massive no-no. Don't do it. We see it a lot. Oh, this kid can take players on. Why can't my kid do that? Oh, he heads the ball. Why can't... No, no, no. Your kid's got his own set of unique talents or things that he's got an aptitude for um, and his own style of play. Don't compare to others. So those are the two things that struck at me. But again, what you're saying, Donna, is parents living their dreams through their children and getting sucked into it. Exactly. Um, it's not about you. It's about your child. I'm sorry if that upsets anyone, but it's not about you. It's about your child. You want your child to learn and grow. You need to encourage them um, instead of making making a, making a child upset, coming back from a club that they're supposed to be enjoying and they're coming home upset. They're not. You're not just leaving it at the pitch. You're taking it home with you as well. So yeah. in a place that's supposed to be their safe haven, you're then bringing that from... It's a form of billing, in my opinion. Sorry. The the car is the, the main one. The car journey home and the car journey to football is what, where... Making them feel... Where dads kind of get their claws into them with a bit of see, one-to-one time. And my advice on that would be don't do it. It's it's In my opinion, it's bullying. It's bullying a child. Because you're, they're not doing not what sure you want them to do. Not sure we can go as extreme no, as can't. that, can we? You can't, but, you can but in say my exactly opinion, what you feel. Um, it's bullying and I cannot tolerate bullies. Um, so you're supposed to love your child and encourage them. If they're not doing what you want them to do, eh, maybe it's because they don't want to do it. Okay, well, rather than just throwing statements out, the question was actually how what can we help we, them? Yeah. So I've written this down. Three things. Firstly, the parent, what I would say to that parent is... What exactly are your concerns? What, why, why are you giving them a hard time? What do you want out of it? That'd be the first thing. So establish what, what you're trying to achieve by these pep talks and things. What, what do you want? Secondly, ask them if what you're doing is helping or hindering what they're trying, what their concern is. Are your actions now helping or hindering your child? And clearly it's hindering them, isn't it? Because they're, they're losing their enjoyment. And then focus on the proactive question. So what is your response to that going to be? What can you do about it? Um, you know, what can you control? So what, what, why, you need to establish why. Why you're giving your child a hard time. What do you want them to do? I think you've got to go back a step further than this, Pez, because I've seen brilliant parents shouting on the sideline and then them being confronted about it and they don't even believe they've said the things that they've said. Oh, yeah, I've got a classic example of that. I call it parent blinkers. Uh So they get so caught up in, they they think they're at Anfield or they think they're at St Mary's and they think they're shouting at the players. And they're doing it with their own son and they've shouted pass, 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 which I know you don't like and I don't like. There's a question coming up about that, actually. Um, And then they've been confronted about it and they said, no, I didn't even say that. And what what do you do then? my advice would be maybe film them and show it back to them and say, well, there you go, because you can't argue with that. But it's it's sometimes such a fixed mindset, they don't believe that they're doing anything else other than trying to help their child that they won't even realise what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So how you approach that is that is a touchy situation. That's a it? really good point. You could get your phone, you know that they're coming back from the match, and you could just do a voice recorder and, you, you know, 
yeah. and leave yeah. it I'm running. Sure it's being done. Sure just so being you can, done. because like you said, maybe it's not. Maybe I did go over top then, saying it's bullying. Maybe I did just a little bit. But there are parents out there like that that do that. But the parents, like you just said, that don't realise that they're behaving this way. Yeah, and great parents yeah. outside yeah. of this environment. Yeah, yeah. And it's the only environment I've ever seen it. You wouldn't see a, a after tennis game, someone mm. hammering their kid, why aren't you getting your first serve in every time? Yeah. You just wouldn't do it. You would Maybe uh, record that conversation the when they come home. And if it's just leave it running in the kitchen or something, see if you pick it up. And then later on, when the dad's calmed down, just approach him and say, darling, I don't re- think you realise the way you're acting and the way you're making our child feel. Can I just play this for you, just so you know? And then maybe once they've heard it, then, you know, a light might switch on. Not what I had jotted down, but filming, I think, if you can do it, trouble is you've got to be careful with filming yes. around kids. If it's and all your, that yeah, nowadays. but don't film the children, but film yeah, if it's your oh, own you husband. Mean like a, a, yeah. Or a voice recorder at home yeah, once okay. they're back from the game and just so they can hear it. So shame them into action. Shame on them. I mean, I'd, I'd rather get them to analyse their own actions, but I suppose they've got to admit that they are yeah. doing it in the first place, which yeah. is your point. It's a, it's an interesting one. But, um, you know, there's things you can't control. It, it depends what they're shouting at, you know. You, you can't control other players. You can't control the manager, you know. But all you can control is how you are, your child and you are responding to situations. But... Probably needs a little bit more on that one, doesn't it? Because we're kind of going down different angles yeah. with it. Um, but the best thing you can tell your child after a game of football is that you enjoyed watching them play and only ever praise them for effort. Welcome to the Inner Huddle Show, the uh, one-stop show for youth development, also available on podcast. Right, Jeffrey. I don't think we gave that last question full justice, if I'm honest, but I think the bottom line with it is... As a parent, your first responsibility is to keep your child's passion in the sport or whatever activity they're doing alive. And if you're doing something that is spoiling their enjoyment or their passion for whatever it is, stop, have a look at yourself, review it. And if you don't understand why their passion's going, research it and ask questions. We put that one to bed? Yeah. But it kind of rolls into the next question, which is, what are your thoughts on silent sidelines? Now, I'm chuckling a bit. Some leagues do this silent sideline week where your coaches, managers and parents are not allowed to say anything from the sides. Um, I think they're um, quite laid back on encouragement and things like that. But again... You can clap things. and Clap and say, well done. But in the main... They call it silent sidelines for a reason because they want it to be silent. The idea being is just let them play and get on with it. Now, I'm going to contradict myself massively, which is why I was having a little chuckle because I don't like it. Do you know, I've never been to a silent sideline game, so I don't know what it's like. It's... Is it eerie? Yeah. And if you're a coach that's worth your salt, there are points in the game where you can say things to encourage your children to make them better footballers. I think it's too easy just to say, right, we're going to stop all of that. No one's allowed to say anything from the sidelines. And I hate to say it to parents, but maybe okay with parents. <laughs> Silence them up a little bit um, and put your trust in the coaches. But there are examples of where, you know, you should be allowed to say a few things to the children. It's very, um, what's the word, contentious. Yeah. There is more harm done by coaches shouting out than good, to be fair. But it is very blanket to say and will annoy quite a few coaches well, annoy all coaches, but there are some really good ones out there who know what to say and when to say it and in the right way to say it. Could you give us some examples of what, you know, are some good buzzwords in compared to poor coaching from the sideline? I think we talked about it on the last show, didn't we, with 
you know, people shouting out pass and things like that. I think we've got a question coming up about people shouting out pass all the time. But encouraging them to pass might be get your head up, yeah. you know. Well, just anything that's decision. Scan, I like to shout yeah. out because you want them to make their own decisions but you can encourage them to make those decisions. Anything you shout out that affects a child's decision is wrong. So if you're PlayStation managing and saying, pass, switch it, Manon might be all right, to be fair. But again, it's opinions and can be debated all day. If you're continually shouting at a player to pass, he might be the best dribbler in the team, he might be the next Neymar, and you're then actively coaching that out of that child. Stifling something in their development that you shouldn't be stifling. Yeah, It's, It's amazing how some of these questions are sort of linking in together. Um, I haven't put them down like that. Do you you think it matters what we think on silent sidelines or do you think it matters what the kids think? Do you think kids should be asked? Kids want praise, so if it's just praise allowed, I think they'd be all over it. Um, And To be honest, I think most kids, if you let them vote, would probably vote for silent sidelines, especially with some of the coaches I come across. I've asked a few of them recently and uh, quite a few have said they'd prefer it, but... Yeah, I imagine it would be a weird atmosphere with just yeah. silence and takes away something from the environment that you want to keep there a little bit. Yeah, it is a little bit eerie. I mean, I don't say a lot during matches anyway. I turn up, I'm lazy, but I have a bench, fold-out bench. Bench goes up, I sit down, I watch the game and I try and enjoy it. I'm giving up my time for free and I want to enjoy it. So I let the kids get on with it. They know how we like to play and I like to learn things from my players and I make lots of notes So at half-time. I'll get them all in and then I'll pick individual out to make any sort of points. But always with development in mind, not about winning that game of football. But again, probably need a bit more time on this one. Yeah, I just, again, when I went to this coaches conference at St George's Park for all the English futsal coaches, a month ago, Portugal were playing in the futsal Euros and they won it for the first time ever. And their coach was talking at this conference and the big thing he was saying was, that you have timeouts in futsal and every time they have a timeout he would t- they've done their work in training and he would yeah. say to the players what do we need to do they'd tell him he'd say okay go and do it so everything was done in little micro teams so a four on a court knew what they were going to do for that next three or four minutes in that scenario yeah. and their training was all scenario based so he doesn't have to shout a lot out from the sideline even at the highest level in the Euros. Something we're doing a lot of research in is these scenarios, isn't yeah. it, to take into training and we're going to implement it at our soccer school. So, so really, a, a silent sideline, it should be great for the kids because yeah. they are just putting into practice then what they're doing in training and not getting anything. That Would you go as far to say then that these managers that constantly shout out and talk the whole matches are bad coaches because they haven't done it in training? So their training's poor because if their training's good, then the kids will kind of have an, an idea of what they should be doing on the pitch anyway. Possibly. Uh, if the stuff they're shouting out is related to the last training session and they've got some buzzwords that might trigger something in Triggers child, is, the, is, is yeah. the key. And and that's all it should ever be, isn't it? Because yeah. your triggers are what shape everything in coaching for me. So, I, yeah. I, th- I think the key for me is for kids to learn, they have to make mistakes. In fact, anything. doesn't matter whether it's football or not. You have to make mistakes and go through the process. Making that mistake analysing it and learning from it and sometimes you have to make that mistake loads and loads coaches and their egos don't want you to make mistakes so their training's geared up to mistake free football and in matches they want it to be perfect because even at under 9s 10s 11s 12s whatever it is they feel under pressure to win a game and get a nice back slap to say yeah I'm the next Jose Mourinho oh goodness we could talk for another couple of hours couldn't we I'm so sorry I just wanted to read out this one uh, message that we got through <laughs> Go um, we had a text message come through from Bish and he said the need for warm ups certainly changes with age 
Pezza can't tie up his shoelaces without pulling a muscle nowadays. So true, Bish. Yeah, he's, got a, <laughs> he's got a good point. Yes, uh, everyone that's contributed and uh, big apologies for the people that have got questions in. And we... I'd just like to say thanks to everyone, including Pez and Eggy, that supported us on Sunday and all the kids that came to watch. Really were a part of an amazing futsal environment, which will be massive in football development locally. So well done, everyone that supported on Sunday. Thank you. Yeah, keep getting involved, keep growing a game and enjoy the sport because it's a beautiful game and enjoy working with the children because they're not young for that long and you want to look back and go, it was the best experience for us all. Uh, and one more thank you to Lexi and Jacob who are two sort of mascots. Big shout out to you guys. The Inner Huddle, a youth football development podcast for parents, coaches and managers of young aspiring footballers. From Peza Street Soccer.